This is Josh Smith, pastor of Prince Avenue Baptist Church in Bogart, Georgia. Our mission at Prince is simple, leading people to trust and follow Jesus. And it's our hope that this sermon would help accomplish that mission. For more information about our church, visit us at pabc.org. So we were all talking about our future, and when it got to me, my friend looked at me and said, oh, you're just going to be married to a wife beater in a trailer park one day. They didn't know that was like my life. Like I grew up in that. And I, just right then I was like, I'm, I've got more to my life than that. I did not grow up in a Christian family. Um, my dad was an alcoholic and abused drugs and my mom was afraid of my dad. And it was just uh, my brother and I at home. The word of God was never spoken in our house. Didn't know who God was. Um, I heard a lot of words growing up that a child should not hear from their parents. Um, we lived in a trailer park and my neighbor invited me to VBS and I had no clue what it was, but my parents were like free babysitting, you can go. So we went to VBS and it's the first time I heard about God. Didn't know who he was, but I was just simply amazed that there was this person that loved me no matter what, because I never heard the word, I love you growing up. So I started riding a bus every Sunday from age four all the way to middle school by myself. When I got to middle school, um, I had friends' parents start taking me to another church that was closer to our house. And as a parent, they were like, maybe our child shouldn't hang out with her anymore because we don't want this influence around our child. So my rides to church stopped. By high school, I was desperate for friends. I wanted someone to accept me and love me and just be there with me because I was alone. But then I found the wrong crowd. I just started to get really angry with God at this point and just completely turn my back on Him. And people would ask if you, if I believed in God. And at that point, I said, no, He's, he's not real. So when I was going to these parties, there was drug use involved. And there was one moment where I was I had taken too many pills and I was remembered the words of my friend saying, this is going to be your future life. Like, this is how you're going to end up. And I said, God, I don't want to end up like this. What am I doing? All the generational sin that my parents had, like no one in my family was a Christian. Everybody was an alcoholic. Everybody did drugs. I'm just going down that path. Like, what, what am I doing? And I was like, I, I went to church. I'm different. I just right then and there was like, dear Lord, I am sorry for everything I did. Please, please save me. Please help me through this. And right then I stopped hanging out with all of those friends completely. So senior year, um, I was working um, at a grocery store to pay for night school and to pay for basically everything at this point. And I met a stock boy that worked there. He was very different from anyone I had ever met before, and he was Christian. And we started dating and went to senior prom together and fell in love. And when I met his parents, it turned out that they worked in their bus ministry at their church. So I was like, oh my goodness, God, this is so well played. Like, you, you knew exactly what you were doing here. <laughs> 
So after a couple years, my husband and I, after we got married, um, the Lord placed on our heart to start a family. And I wanted to be a mom really, really bad. But I was terrified because I didn't know what like a normal family looked like, and especially what a God-centered family looked like. I was invited to a mom's group at our church. They helped me build a stronger relationship with God, got me into the Bible, praying and really just diving in God's Word and figuring out how to do this mom thing. So about almost five years ago, we moved to Athens for my husband's job. Flash forward, found a house finally, we're living here. And I guess a year after we started, uh, after we joined, Ju Miss Judy, who's the women's ministry director, had a brunch at her house and she invited several young ladies to it. And I had never met her, but she goes around the table and she asks us each, what is your passion? When I told her about moms being my passion, she's like, well, can you make this happen at Prince? And I said, I will try. <laughs> so. God led us to start a mom's group here, and it has grown every year, and it is just incredible. If I were to meet a girl in the same situation that I went through, I would tell her that she is worthy, and she is loved by God, and that her Heavenly Father or her Heavenly Family, they may not be what she thought they would be and what she thought her life was like, but there's so much more to her life. God has a plan for her and a future for her and that she can do it. She can be somebody someday. I love a good story. Don't you love a great story? There's just something in us that makes us captivated by a good story. Honestly, it's, it's one of the redeeming things about the moment that we're in as a nation in the midst of all of the chaos going on around us, there's so many great stories that seem to be emerging about people loving one another and caring for one another and being a good neighbor. We just love a good story. You know, the first time Andrea ever saw me cry, it wasn't the funeral that we attended uh, when we were engaged. It wasn't when we gazed into each other's eyes and quoted the vows that we had written for one another. It was about a month after we were married. We were sitting on the couch and because I wanted to be a good and a loving and a faithful husband to help lead my wife in the path of righteousness, we began with season one, episode one of The Andy Griffith Show and began to just watch it straight through. And it was in that first episode in which Aunt B had come and then Opie didn't want her there and she decided to leave. And at the very end of the episode, Aunt B is about to get in a car and she's about to drive away and Opie is looking through the window. And just when you think she's gonna be gone forever, Opie runs down and says, no, Aunt B, don't go. I don't want you to go. I want you to stay. And Andrea looks at me and I've lost it. I just, I was done. That was it. Because that's a great story. And we love a good story. God has created us in such a way that we are captivated by stories. Honestly, that's the reason we love Amy's story. God created us to love good stories. But if we're honest about the stories that we hear and the stories that we know, very rarely do we find a story that changes us. It moves us, but then we move on. We're captivated, but we're not transformed. It may be a great story, but at the end of the story, in reality, it's someone else's story. It's kind of like the way many people view Easter. It's a good story, 
And we hear it every once in a while, at least once a year, and we might even find ourselves moved by it. But shortly after, we move on. It is an interesting story, a captivating story, but very rarely do we find ourselves transformed by the story because after all, even though it's a good story, it's someone else's story. But it wasn't ever intended to be that way. The truth is, Easter is a great story. It doesn't matter who you are or what you believe, Easter is a great story. The story of God who created the universe and sustains the universe by the power of his word becomes flesh, God the Son. And he dwells among us and we behold his glory. He lives a perfect life. He then dies a criminal's death. He is buried and three days later he rises from the dead displaying publicly his victory over death, sin, and hell. And then he ascends to the right hand of the Father, where right now he is ruling and reigning over all things, waiting someday to return to establish his kingdom on earth. That is a great story. But for most of us who have heard that story time and time again, we acknowledge it's a great story, but we hear it and we're moved by it, but we move on. We're captivated, but not transformed because... Oftentimes, it just feels like somebody else's story. But the truth is, is that story of Easter, of Jesus and his resurrection, the whole weekend, his death, burial, and resurrection, is a story, a part of a greater story. It's actually the climax of a very long story. And in order for us to understand the story itself, and particularly in order for us to find our place in that story, for us to see it as not just someone else's story, but our story, we must understand how that moment of Jesus' resurrection fits in the bigger picture of the story, the story of the Bible. Now, you may know this well, you may have heard this a thousand times, you may be able to tell it better than I can. But if you don't mind, I wanna take just a minute and very quickly tell you the whole story. Not with all the details, but the big picture story of the Bible. In the beginning, The all-powerful and personal God created the universe. And the pinnacle of his creation was human beings, us. God created us uniquely in his image that we might know him and enjoy him forever. And in the beginning of the story, you get a picture of his life as God intended for it to be. It's God's people created by him in his image, in God's place, the garden where he created them to live, enjoying God's presence, fulfilling God's purposes. That's how life was intended to be. Us as God's people, living in God's place, enjoying God's presence, and it was through that presence that we would come to find life and joy. Everything about us exists to live in the presence of God. And as we're in his presence, fulfilling his purposes, living under his authority, it is in that place that we become fully alive. And so Adam and Eve in the beginning were. But like Adam and Eve, we decided to rebel against God. We took our puny fist and we shook it in the face of God and said, we don't want you to be our king. We don't want you to be our Lord. We don't want you to be our boss. And we decided to do things our own way. We walked away from God. And as a result, we walked away from the presence of God, the very place in which all of life flows. The consequence of that sin was not only our separation from God, but death. Spiritual death, something in us actually died because we were separated from the presence of God. 
and ultimately physical death, all the consequences of our sin. And as all of us have experienced, sin brought brokenness. It brought brokenness to the world. It brought brokenness to our life. It brought brokenness to our families. It's the kind of brokenness that Amy and all of us have experienced. And in attempts to try to fix that brokenness, we grab a thousand other things and realize that they don't work. They just lead to greater brokenness. And in the midst of the sin and the separation and the brokenness, God still loved us. He always has and he always will. And from the very beginning, God had a plan. God had a plan to rescue us. And every single verse in the Old Testament is pointing us to the fact that one day a great rescuer is going to come. And he is going to come as not only a king and a savior, but as a substitute. That God has so ordained it that the rescuer is going to come and live the life that we needed to live and die the death that we deserved and make it possible for us to once again live the life as God intended for us to live. And the rescuer's name is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came as God in the flesh, the very son of God, and he lived a perfect life. He died a criminal's death, but we come to know that he did not die for his sins because he committed no sins. He died for our sins. He died so that the consequence of our sin might be taken by Jesus and he died in our place. He was laid in a tomb and three days later on Easter morning, he rose, publicly displaying his victory over death and sin and hell. And after that, he ascended to the right hand of the Father where he is ruling and reigning over all things, waiting to come back. And when he comes back, he will once again restore life as it was meant to be. He will come and establish his kingdom on earth where once again it will be God's people in God's place, enjoying God's presence, fulfilling God's purposes. And all of those who know Jesus Christ will be with him for all of eternity, experiencing his presence. And all of those that have continued to live in rebellion towards Jesus will be apart from his presence. And that is the story of the Bible from beginning to end. Now it's a great story. And it explains the reason that we love stories so much. Because the climax of that story is Easter. This moment in which we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ is meant to be one part of the bigger picture. And so it is that your life is not just a series of facts and events. Your life is a story. It's a story that's complicated that you may not even fully understand and all of the facts and all of the events and all the actions of others and your own decisions have made up a unique story. And so it is, the Bible in the same way is not just a list of facts. It's not just a a series of random stories. It is a story, one united story. And God's intention is for you to find your place in that story. Because it's not just a story, it's the story. It is the story of the world. It is the story in which every other thing that is happening in this world is a part of, and it is intended to be the story of your life. In other words, God's desire is for Easter not to be somebody else's story. God's desire is for Easter to be your story, for you to find your place in the bigger story. Now, I wanna look at one little verse this morning to explain exactly how that works. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter five, and if you have your Bible, you can look there. In 2 Corinthians chapter five, one little verse, in verse 17, it's 10 words. And I believe in those 10 words, it explains to us how it is that the story of Easter becomes our story. 
It tells us how we find our place in the bigger story of all that God is doing in the world. It simply says this. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. There it is. Ten words. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Now, obviously, everything in that verse hinges on two words, in Christ. If anyone is in Christ, then that person is a new creation. Now, you may not have heard that term before, but the New Testament uses this phrase, in Christ, over and over and over again. As a matter of fact, it's the most frequent way in all of Scripture to refer to a true Christian. Not a Christian or a follower of Jesus or a believer. The most common way to refer to an actual Christian. Not someone who just knows the facts. The devil knows the facts. But someone who has actually come to experience the life of God is referred as someone who is in Christ. The Bible says if anyone is in Christ, meaning not everyone is in Christ, but it's possible for anyone to be in Christ. Not everyone is a believer. Not everyone is in Christ. But it says if anyone is in Christ, meaning it is possible for every single person to be a believer. It is possible for everyone to find themselves in Christ. And everything else in this verse hinges on that reality. Are you in Christ? Are you a true believer? It's not enough to to know the facts. It's not enough to have gone to church. It's not enough to have said a prayer. The truth is, Becoming a believer requires something more of you. It requires that you see your life as a part of that story I just told. Let me explain. To be a true believer, you must understand that you were created by God, carefully knit in your mother's womb, specifically created that you might know him and enjoy him forever. Do you know that? God placed you on this earth that you might know him. You are not an accident. You are loved. You have been created by a God who wants you to find life in him. You exist to know him and enjoy him forever. But you, like me and Adam and Eve, have rebelled against God. The Bible says in Ephesians 2 that all of us were born disobedient and dead and doomed in our sin. There is something in us that is dead the moment we're brought to life. Our spiritual life is dead. And as a result of that, we don't have the very life of God living in us as we're created to. And so we sin because it's in our nature to sin. We have all rebelled. The Bible said all of us like sheep have have gone astray. We have all gone our own way. Romans 3 says no one is righteous. No, not one. I think you have to be honest enough to acknowledge that you're a sinner. And we don't want anybody else ruling our lives. We want to rule our own lives. We want to be our own boss. And most of us are. We have to see that we, created by God, also are sinful beings, separated from God. And because of that, are experiencing all kinds of brokenness that we cannot seem to fix. And God knows that. And he did not, in some vague, distant way, send a rescuer. Listen to me. He sent someone to rescue you. Because he created you to know him, but you're separated from him, the place in which all real life is found. So God sent Jesus Christ for you that he might live the life that you needed to live, that he might die the death you deserved. 
that he might be risen from the dead so that you might have a new life. And the Bible says this, is that in order for you to come back into right relationship with God, you must know that you were created by God, know that you exist for him, acknowledge your sin, and then turn from your sin and turn to Jesus because you believe that only Jesus is the way back to intimacy with God. Only Jesus is the truth and only Jesus has life. So in understanding that only Jesus can bring you back to the life God created you for, you then turn your life from sin and turn to Jesus. You receive him as your savior. You submit to him as your Lord. You make him the king of your life. And the Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord can be saved. That's what it means to be a Christian. To choose by faith, believing that Jesus is who he said he is. Believing that you exist for him. To choose to trust him, to follow him, to make him the savior and Lord of your life. The Bible says if you've done that, you're in Christ. You're a believer, you're in Christ. But that idea of being in Christ might still seem a little bit vague. So, so listen to this. This is absolutely incredible. This is the glorious news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you wonder why believers are so happy at Easter, it's because we're reflecting upon the truth I'm about to tell you. Listen to what it means to be in Christ. It means this is that God has sent Jesus Christ to be our substitute. We could not live the life that God demanded, and God did not want us to have to eternally pay for our own sins. He wanted to find a way for us to have our sins paid for. So Jesus lived a perfect life, and he died that criminal's death. And do you know what happens? When you choose by faith to trust Christ, you give yourself to him, you turn from sin, and turn to Jesus and make you the Lord, make him the Lord of your life. The Bible says this, is that God the Father takes the death of Jesus and all of the wrath of God that was poured out upon him. And the fact that in that moment, Jesus was separated from God the Father, he takes the punishment of our sin, puts it upon Jesus Christ, and then God credits Jesus' death to your account. He puts that punishment for that sin that we deserved. Jesus didn't sin, we did. And then he puts that on your account. And then he takes the perfect life of Jesus and he credits that to your account. God declares you righteous, holy, right before God, which means that when God the Father sees you as a believer, you know what he actually sees? He sees the perfect life of Jesus. You know what he actually sees? He sees the death of Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be in Christ. You're united with his life and his death. You know what else? You're united with his burial. Your old life that you turned from has been done away with. It's now in the grave and in his resurrection because you're united in that also. You have been raised that you might have new life. That as it is said in John 3, when you become a believer, you're born again. The very life of Jesus Christ comes to live inside of you. That spiritual life that was dead now comes alive. That's what it means to be in Christ. What an unbelievable thought that all of the life and death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ is credited to our account. So our life, as Colossians says, is hidden in Christ to such an extent that the Bible says that when Jesus returns, we will return with him. 
And when you begin to understand what it means to be in Christ, then you understand what it means when Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. How, how could you come to know Jesus Christ, really know him, not know the facts, not say a prayer, but really know him, and not understand that you are a new creation, that something very real has changed in you, that you have for the very first time the life of God inside of you, and now you are getting a taste of what it means to know real life. Now, I wanna remind you, we still live in a broken world. So the moment that you come to Christ, all of the brokenness doesn't go away. We still get sick. We still have pandemics. We still struggle with sin. We still experience a bad diagnosis. We get sick and ultimately we will have physical death. We still live in a broken world. We still experience the brokenness of those around us and how that affects us. We still live in a broken world. But here's what has happened, that now in the midst of that broken world, you as a believer have the ability to experience the very life of God in the midst of a broken world. Meaning that throughout your life, as you spend time with the Lord, you walk with him, you're getting a little taste of what life was meant to be. You're able to process life in terms of the wisdom that God has given you. And every little taste that you get of life as it meant to be is a foretaste of the life we will ultimately experience when Jesus Christ returns or takes us home. That in the moment of our death, we will actually enter into the greatest life that we have ever experienced, life as it was meant to be, which is why we celebrate the resurrection. Because of the resurrection, we no longer fear death. Death is simply the entrance into ultimate life. And if you're a believer, that means that the story of Easter is not just someone else's story, it is your story because you are united with Jesus in his resurrection. And the moment that you die physically, you will come fully alive. And my hope and prayer for you this Easter is that you will be able to say with the words of that familiar hymn, this is my story, this is my song. Because when this becomes your story, it changes everything. Easter is no longer a day, it is your life. It is not something you think about once a year, it is something you think about every day because Easter changes everything. And it has the power to change you. Let's listen to one more story this morning. I guess in the past, I, I, I thought that all things that worked together for good meant that it was going to be the good as I defined it. It's not the good as I defined it. It's the good as he defines it. And whatever that is, whatever that means for me, is okay. I was a junior in high school, and uh, James Robinson came to Birmingham came to Huffman High School. A lot of our players on the team, I was on the high school football team at Banks High School. Uh, we went to hear him and uh, uh, accepted the Lord that night. It was in the, the uh, spring of 1971. And uh, not always follow the Lord as I should, but uh, in the last 10 or 15 years, God has just really worked on my heart. And I, I think this trial that I'm going through now is just, you know, driving that home. I was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer in uh, November of 2017. I went through about 12 rounds of chemo, radiation, 
unsuccessful surgery. Uh, I was stable for about six months, but the cancer reoccurred in uh, uh, January of 2018. Uh, since then, I've been on chemo every other week, and uh, the cancer has remained stable for a year and a couple months now. So the Lord has just, just blessed me. Uh, he's used His Word, prayer, and the people that He surrounded me with to sustain me through this through this trial because I had never been sick before uh, this hit me. Romans 8, 28 and 29 just drives home the point that, you know, when we suffer, that He's using that to conform us to the image of His Son, Jesus. Uh, and then the 23rd Psalm is so comforting. Uh, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me, and thy rod and thy staff that comfort me. And those give me great uh, comfort in these times. The community group that we're in, a uh, very encouraging group of people, a prayerful group of people. I don't know how many people are praying for me, but it, it's in the hundreds, I know. And uh, the doctors, the nurses, so many I've met are Christians, and, and, and they testify that people of faith fare better under these circumstances than people that don't have faith. Uh, my D group, the guys in my D group, uh, where my community group uh, gives me encouragement when I'm fearful, my D group holds me accountable when sometimes my anger takes over. And uh, that does happen from time to time. I, I'm, not, uh, I'm not immune to it. I question God as to why this happened to me sometimes when things aren't going very well but uh, they hold me accountable and uh, bring me back into the, into the fellowship as I should be. Uh, you begin to see that you're not the only person that has, has a tribulation that you're going through. And in many, many cases, other people are going through much worse than I am. You know, when I don't know them, um, I tell them that I pray for them. And I tell them to uh, keep hope that God loves them and that He will never abandon them. If they don't know the Lord, that they need to know Him. Um, those that I know that do know the Lord, I just tell them to you know, keep your heart cheerful because He made that promise to us in Proverbs. Um, surround yourself with people that support you and you can support them. Serve the Lord. Keep your, keep your mind busy. Don't let your mind go into a dark place. Keep your mind busy by focusing on others and focusing on Him. What I love so much about Gordon's story, that he's a man who's experiencing the brokenness of this world. He's a man that knows what it's like to suffer through the diagnosis that he has, but he is also a man who has seen his life through the lens of being in Christ. What Gordon knows is this, the worst possible thing that could happen to him is he die. And when he dies, he will enter into the fullness of life that God intended for us to live. Why? Because he's in Christ. I don't know exactly what your circumstance is right now, where you're seated, where you're watching, but even though it may feel a little awkward, would you do something with me? Would you take just a moment and bow your head and close your eyes? Just bow your head and close your eyes right now in this moment, whoever you are, children, adults, family members, just bow your heads, whether you're with others or all alone, bow your heads and close your eyes. For just a moment, I wanna ask you, not if you know the facts. As I said, the devil knows the facts. Not if you said a prayer, not if you went to church. That's not what matters. What matters is this. 
Do you know that you have fully trusted Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life? Not just to save you from your sins, but have you made Jesus the Lord? He's the boss. He's calling the shots. Because that's what it means to be a believer. The Bible does say whoever calls upon the name of the Lord, understanding he is to be king, shall be saved. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation, meaning it's possible for you to be a new creation this morning if you will trust the Lord. I want to lead you through a prayer, and and my words are not the key to this, but I want to lead you through a prayer of what it would look like to give your life to Jesus Christ. And if you feel in your heart a desire to give your life to Christ, to experience that life, to trust Jesus completely, in your own heart right now, just say something like this, Lord, I know that I was created by you, and I know that I was created for you. I know that my sin has separated from me, me from you. I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. I acknowledge that I deserve to go to hell. But Father, I want to receive the gift of Jesus Christ. His death is payment for my sins. Forgive me of my sins. Right now, I'm asking, God, give me eternal life. I want to be in Christ. This morning, if you prayed that prayer, if you called upon the name of the Lord out of a heart that longs to know Jesus Christ, know this, that you've been born again. That this is the beginning of a new life, becoming a new creation in which the very life of God dwells in you. And this is the start of something new when you begin to trust Jesus, to walk with Jesus, to turn your back on sin, to begin to follow Jesus Christ. Let me pray for you. Father, we're so thankful for the story of Jesus. We thank you that we can find our place in that story, that it is possible for us to have new life through Jesus. And God, I pray that everyone who is listening to this message would turn to Jesus Christ, would surrender everything to Jesus and find new life in him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen to this sermon. May you trust and follow Jesus more and lead others to do the same. For more information, visit us at pabc.org.